0: Good morning again. Witness by submission or submitting in marriage. Now, as I say that, uh, some of you might have noticed that my wife isn't in, in the sanctuary this morning. Uh, that was not planned, all right? That was what we call a happy accident. Uh, she, uh, because of, of illness, she's filling in in the nursery. And, um, and no worries, I mean, uh, she's going to miss the sermon this morning, but I've been preaching this to her for 23 years, so, uh, you know, she's, she's heard it before, right? She's heard it, no. Uh, this sermon is not a topical sermon on marriage. That's not what this is this morning. Uh, having a series on marriage and family is a worthwhile endeavor and will probably occur at some point, but this is not that. Uh, we are studying through First Peter, uh, making sure we are staying in context uh, with the God-inspired message Peter wrote to the churches in northern Turkey. Uh, we will look at other passages and what they say in relation to this passage, uh, but this isn't a, a, uh, an exhaustive uh, series on, on marriage and family. First, Peter is about believers that conflict with their culture. The section we are studying is about excellent conduct That Christians should exhibit because of the great salvation uh, they have experienced through God's grace. God desires for unsaved people to see excellent Christian conduct and glorify God because of it. We are talking about our witness, not necessarily our testimony. In this passage, Peter is not emphasizing what the believer says about the gospel, but how the believer lives differently because of the gospel. There is a time and a place for an explanation of the gospel, but it, doesn't mean, but it doesn't mean that we have to give the full nine yards every single time we come in contact with somebody. A believer's excellent conduct is an effective means of communicating God's truth. One thing we have to remember, and I'm, I'm sure most of you will agree with me on this, marriage is God-ordained. It is God-ordained, it is not man-made. Um, It doesn't matter what the Congress and the President sign into law. If marriage was man-made, we could do whatever we wanted to with it, because it's man-made. But marriage is God-ordained. That means not only who can get married, but God knows the best arrangement for a happy, fulfilling marriage. God is the inventor of marriage, the designer, the engineer of marriage. In fact, in Genesis 2:23 through 24, it says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What is the most romantic meal a husband and wife can share together on their marriage anniversary? Obviously, it's ribs, right? It's ribs. In my opinion, anything else is inappropriate. And baked beans and onion rings just go with the meal, right? Uh, Kenny Chesney wrote a song about a husband being dissatisfied with his wife, and the song title is, I Want My Rib Back. A wise man told me before my wedding, the happiest men in the world are married. And I think he's right. And then he said, the most miserable men in the world are married too. (laughs) And I think that's right. Because our culture has messed up marriage in a major way. Our culture's idea of marriage was messed up way before the same-sex marriage became a thing. Certainly, that hasn't helped. We don't do marriage God's way, then wonder why it has fallen apart. We can lament and complain about how society has ruined God's design for marriage, or we can see it as an opportunity. Living out God's design for marriage is radically different than our culture's practice of marriage. Christ-centered marriages stand out. We have an amazing opportunity to witness for Christ simply by being married in the way we do it. But we need help with it. Heavenly Father. We ask for your help, because so often we think our way is better than your way. Or we say, I know what the Bible says, but, and then we fill in some foolish idea that we have. Father, help us to live out marriage the way you designed it to be lived out, that, uh, that the unsaved will, will see our marriage and glorify you. We just uh, thank you that, uh, that you are the designer and planner for marriage, and that ma- marriage can be an incredibly satisfying um relationship uh, when we when we submit ourselves to your will. We ask this we ask help for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start out this section in 1 Peter chapter 3 with this with this uh, command. It says likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be bu- they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, that first word, likewise, is so important. Uh, we can't skip over this word. This word refers to First Peter 2:13, where Peter instructs people to subject themselves to governing authorities. In verse 18, likewise comes up again when Peter instructs slaves to subject, to subject themselves to their masters. Now Peter is saying to wives, in the same way with citizens to government. And the same way with slaves to masters, wives are commanded to subject themselves to their own husbands. As a husband, I understand why this might be difficult. We don't always get it when it comes to relationships. Newly married wives mistakenly ask their husbands, what are you thinking about? And the husband says, nothing. More experienced wives don't ask that question. Uh, It is not because they have given up, they just simply recognize that their husband is not being evasive when he says nothing. He's being honest. He's really thinking about nothing. And in fact, when you ask, what are you thinking about, it it unsettles him. And it's kind of like a dream. You know you had one, but when you wake up, you can't really remember what it was. When a wife asks her husband, what are you thinking about, and they kind of come to, they actually forget what it was they were thinking about. Or, they were thinking about something so ridiculous, they don't really wanna share it with you. Because it knows, I, for instance, I was, this isn't in my notes, I'm just gonna admit this. You, you might respect me and you might not here in 10 seconds. I love commercials with monkeys. That's who they, for a, you remember for a few years where they had monkeys in commercials all the time? They were targeting me. That's who they were targeting we really truly sometimes think about nothing. Uh, so I, I get the whole thing, S- subject yourselves to your husband when he, you know that he's thinking about monkeys in a commercial, that can be hard to do. Uh, sometimes the wife doesn't ask, what are you thinking, more experienced wives, because they know what their husband is thinking. And they don't like it, right? Uh, when Mary and I are out somewhere, and something happens or somebody says something odd or or provides an opportunity for me to make a funny little joke uh, that uh, might be inappropriate for the occasion, my wife will catch my eye and give me a huddle, a subtle head shake, don't, don't, that's what this means, stay, I know what you're thinking, don't say it, right, and she'll just catch my eye and just be a little subtle, and I'll okay, sometimes it works, Uh, sometimes it doesn't, Um, sometimes, knowing what a husband is thinking. Gentlemen, have you ever gotten in trouble with your wife because of something that you saw on TV and she gives you a bad look because she knows that you would do the exact same thing? We used to watch Everybody Loves Raymond and he would do something stupid and she'd look at me and get upset because she knows that's exactly something you would do. Uh, And admittedly, a lot of times, it was. I get that it can be difficult to subject yourselves, uh, wives, to, to a husband, Uh, when uh, when we don't sometimes get things, right? And that can be a difficult thing to do. Um, But there's another reason it is difficult for a wife to subject herself to her husband. Uh, After Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, God pronounced curses on the serpent, Adam, and Eve. It says in Genesis 3.16, when he was speaking to Eve, it says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. I've been there. Yeah, it's true. I've I've seen it, right? But then it says, And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Before the sin in the garden, Adam and Eve's marriage was in perfect harmony. After their sin, marriage became difficult. And now, there was always going to be that power struggle. There's always going to be that power struggle. At the beginning of the section, Peter instructed the readers to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. There is no way a wife could subject herself to her husband if her flesh is in charge. Subjection takes complete dependence upon the Spirit of God. So be subject. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject. What does subject yourself or what does submit mean? There are some wrong ideas out there. It does not mean, and I've heard, I've heard these in, in, uh, um, from, from pastors trying to help understand this and, and I just disagree with it and, and you, you, maybe I'm wrong. You can check it out. Eh, you can check out God's word for yourself. Isn't, that, isn't it great that you have God's word and you don't have to listen to what some guy says and take it as absolute truth? I, I'm only as correct as I am in line with God's word. If I'm not in line with God's word, I'm, I'm not correct. and my opinion, doesn't matter. So you always have the opportunity to check it for yourself. But I do not believe that subject yourself or submit means to suffer in silence. And I've heard that before. It means to suffer in silence. It does not mean keep opinions to yourself. Peter is saying that wives need to respond to their husband's leadership. Support his leadership. Why? Because he needs it. He needs it. Support his leadership. Promote his leadership. Live according to his leadership. And then it says, let me go back to the verse here. It says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. Your own husbands. The command does not require women to be subordinate to men in general. That's not what this is saying, and I've I've seen these verses used before saying there shouldn't be women bosses, there shouldn't be women in politics, there shouldn't be, that's not, that's not what this verse is saying, it says to your own husband. That's very specific, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, So, it's not talking about subordinate to men in general, but to their husbands as a function of order within the home. There has to be order within the home. Up. Sometimes there's going to be disagreement, and a decision has to be made. Sometimes you can't come to a consensus, can you? And so there needs to be order in the home for decisions to be made. A wife is to accept her place in the family under the leadership of her husband, whom God has placed as head of the home. But this is the one imperative in this passage. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Here's some free advice to unmarried women, and I typically don't give advice to unmarried women, but I'm gonna give some advice to unmarried women this morning. Don't marry a guy you feel is unworthy of your submission. If you look at this guy and you say, there's no way I could subject myself to him, great, don't marry him. Don't marry him. And gentlemen, if you want a quality wife, this is some free advice for the unmarried guys here, if you want a quality wife, Be worthy of her subjection. Be worthy of her subjection. But ladies, if he is not man enough for the job, you shouldn't marry him. As with the previous sermons, an important question at this command is why. Why is it good for a wife to be subject to her own husband? Well, in this passage, it's pretty clear, to win your disobedient husband to the Lord to win your disobedient husband to the Lord. the section is on honorable conduct of believers that God uses to bring about salvation to the unsaved. When Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians, he wrote, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is in response to the idea of uh, two unsaved people uh, are married and then, and then through God's grace, uh, one of the spouses understands the good news of Jesus Christ and trusts in Christ alone for their salvation, recognizing that he paid for their sins, that Jesus paid for the sins on the cross, and they trust Christ as their Savior. But their spouse is still unsaved. That can make marriage difficult when that happens. And uh, and so the question came up, we're, we're totally different people now. We used to be the same, but now... I have this whole new world opened up to me, uh, and we don't connect spiritually anymore. Is, should I, should I divorce this person? And Paul is saying, if they're willing to live with you, stay married to them, because you don't know if God's gonna use your testimony to bring them to the Lord. And he repeats that both for the husband and for the wife. Uh, so there were questions that the believers had about divorcing their unsaved spouse. Uh, But God says, don't divorce them. God might use you in his process of saving them. But back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter wrote, to do this, uh, even if some don't obey the word, they can be one without a word by your excellent conduct and by your obedience to God in marriage. To be one without a word. This This is hard to do. But sometimes, when, when an unsaved spouse gets and 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 the one who is saved is is trying to to uh, to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ, they they want to. I mean, you, you love your spouse. You want them to to experience God's love for all eternity. Correct? Uh, and uh, man, and if you could drag them to the kingdom, kicking and screaming, you'd do it. If it if that worked, does it work? No. No, it does not. So remember that if you get into an argument with a spouse, uh, is the goal to win an argument or to win a soul? Because you can win the argument, but not win the soul. So be careful. Uh, If you have an unsafe spouse, you will not argue them to heaven. Without hearing the gospel, they cannot get saved, so, so they do need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But once you have made salvation clear, you don't need to give them the full nine yards at every opportunity. You don't need to do that. I went to college in Missouri, lived there for, for a few years, and Missouri is the show-me state. Uh, I thought sometimes it should have been misery loves company, but uh, it uh, was the show-me state. Wife, if you have an unsaved husband, he watches your conduct. He watches your conduct. And the Holy Spirit will do the convicting and convincing. I'm not saying don't ever share the gospel with them. But once you have shared it, your conduct will have a greater influence than anything you say. Arguing, and preaching at them will only drive them further away. Your heartfelt desire to see them turn to the Lord and experience his wonderful salvation for all eternity will be seen as nagging by your unsaved husband. Let your excellent conduct through the work of the Holy Spirit do the convicting and convincing. Notice the command to submit to the husband includes the unsaved disobedient disobedient to the Lord husband if the wife has trusted Christ as her Savior and is growing in her faith and understanding and is following Christ as a disciple much of her life is completely foreign to her unsaved husband he is ignorant of her priorities and values he will not understand her devotion to her church or her commitment to knowing God's word life doesn't divide easy does it We are not supposed to compartmentalize our walk with Christ. On Sundays at church, I'm a Christian. The rest of the week, I play by ear. It doesn't work. That's not what the Lord wants. How should a Christian wife respond to her unsaved husband concerning spiritual things of which he is ignorant? She needs to follow and support his leadership. Let me give you an example of what that might look like During my pastoral internship, my mentoring pastor told me about a wife in the church that came to him very upset. Her husband was unsaved and thought she was spending too much time doing church activities. She was a new believer and was excited about the new life she had and desired as much growth and fellowship as possible. She came Sunday morning, Sunday evening. She came to Sunday school and was part of a midweek ladies Bible study. On top of that, she was spending free time with her new friends in the church. Her husband was frustrated with her new schedule. He told that she needed to stop coming to Sunday evening church in the midweek Bible study. She was upset and asked my senior pastor what she needed to do to convince her unsaved husband to back off his demands and recognize her new priorities as a Christian. My pastor told her to go home to her husband and tell him, Okay. She was quite surprised because usually pastors don't give you the advice to not come to church at every opportunity, but that's what he told her to do. She was surprised. He told her to respond well to her husband's leadership. He was expecting a fight when she came to him and said, Let me talk, let's talk about what you, your request. He was expecting a fight and was intrigued with her willingness to abstain from fleshy driven impulses to fight him. That's not how he thought it was gonna go. That is how a wife wins her unsaved husband to the Lord. That doesn't mean use submission to manipulate your husband. Scripture is not promoting the use of reverse psychology to control your husband. Passive aggressive is still aggressive and it is a flesh driven desire. But the point here is that the husband saw a different side of his wife that he had seen previously in his marriage. And it intrigued him. It took a few years, but you know where that old boy showed up one day? He showed up in church. Right? It wasn't what she said, it was her conduct. It was her conduct. In 1 Peter 3.2 it says this will happen when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Respectful and pure Conduct. The conduct is not manipulative, but respectful and pure. That's the first reason that's given in 1 Peter for wives to subject themselves to their their husbands. What's the second reason? The second reason is this. Why? To be beautiful. To be beautiful. In 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This passage is not saying don't make an effort to look attractive. That's not what it's saying. This passage is saying that the priority of being attractive, particularly to your husband, is an inward quality, not outward. Our culture does not promote this at all, does it? The pressure to measure up in physical appearance is out of control. Vulgarity has become the expectation instead of attractiveness. Commercials and advertising set a bar that is unattainable. Working with youth, I've, I've often told the, uh, the teenagers uh, particularly speaking to the teenage girls, the models on magazine covers don't look like their own photos. Don't feel the pressure to look like that. They don't look like that. Lighting, makeup, and airbrush artists do the work. But we have an over-sexualized culture that does violence to our young people. Attractiveness is based on how sexy someone portrays themselves. Thankfully, God defines what is Attractive beauty that does not perish comes from within it is a a gentle and quiet spirit that is beautiful to god peter goes on to give an example from scripture he says for this is how holy women who hoped in god used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as sarah obeyed abraham calling him lord and you are her children if you do good And do not fear anything that is frightening. So how do you be like Sarah? How do you be like these these women of of old that Peter is speaking about? First one, do good. Do good. Do good things. Uh, So much attention is, is, is based on appearance. You know what's attractive? What's really truly attractive? Somebody being helpful to somebody else. That is, that is really attractive. I've found this when I was young. I came to this conclusion that I would, as a single guy, I would think somebody was, was, was really pretty and, uh, and, and beautiful, and then I would get to know them, and, and they were sometimes crass and, uh, and selfish, and all of a sudden they weren't as beautiful as they were before. And it wasn't that they physically changed. It was the inward having an effect on my perception of them. The opposite was true as well. You would meet somebody, and, and maybe they didn't stand out to you, uh, and yet all of a sudden you just see the, the good that they do, uh, the the way they they treat other people, the way they uh, well, the way they they treat their folks. Uh, that was a, a a big thing for me. If if a, if a young lady was was rude and obnoxious to her parents, that was it. I, I'm, it's over. I'm I'm you know that's not a, that's not attractive at all. Uh, but the way they respond to people, the way they, they handle responsibility, the way they, uh, they, they are just not selfish but selfless to do good. That's how you be like Sarah. That's, and, and Sarah, we're told on a couple of occasions that she caught the eye of some, some important, prominent people. Uh, and so much so that Abraham, when he'd go to a new place, and he would say, My goodness, that old song is right. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. Right? You Remember that song? That song didn't exist yet. Uh, but he's, he said, this is, this is dangerous. My wife is so attractive that if the king sees her, he might kill me just so he can have her. Uh, I'm going to tell him she's my sister. And they, he did that twice. And yet, what made Sarah attractive? She did good. And notice... It says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Don't tell this to my wife, I don't need her getting a big head, not as a joke, but she's a quiet Midwest wife, right? Believe me, there is metal in that spine, right? She is unafraid, she is unafraid. Shy, quiet by nature unafraid that is incredibly attractive and beautiful to the Lord be like Sarah do good and live fearlessly a lot of times when we think of the wife who submits to her husband oh they must be weak right they, they must they you know they, they lack strength of character they're just they're just you know almost pathetic no you can be subject to your husband and be absolutely fearless that's what Sarah was. So this passage isn't saying don't make an effort to be attractive. What this is saying is prioritize the inward more than the outward. And then we get to husbands. Husbands. You thought maybe you were going to get off the hook, right? Nope. The Bible doesn't let us off the hook. Husbands. There's that word again. Likewise. Let me ask you this, if likewise in every occurrence in this passage before is talking about submission and subjection, is there a reason to think that maybe this time it's talking about something else? No, it is still talking about submission and subject, subjection. Likewise, husbands, likewise, husbands. says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman As the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered likewise citizens submit to governing authorities servants submit to your masters wives submit to your husbands and now likewise husbands are to what husbands are also to submit but the way they submit is different but it is still submission How are husbands to submit? How are husbands to submit? They submit by understanding their wife. Husbands, you cannot live with your wife in an an understanding way if you do not understand her. And I know, husbands, that seems impossible. But once you've got the answers, here's why it's impossible, husbands, and you'll agree with me. Once you think you have the answers, what do they do? They changed the questions, right? Early in our marriage, we were driving along, and my wife gasped for air, startled and horrified. I think we're about to die, and I don't know what direction it's coming from. But it was (gasps) like that. Adrenaline, right? Adrenaline comes in, and when that happens, your eyes die. All sorts of physical things happen in that moment. And I thought for sure we were going we to die, but I didn't see anything. So I yelled, what? And her response was, did you see how high the gas prices were? <laughs> I know she's not the only one to do this. I had a buddy tell me that his wife did the same thing because she saw shutters that she really liked on a house. All right? And I said to her, you can't do that to me because now I have all of this adrenaline and nowhere to put it. A few years later, when she was first pregnant with our, with our first, we attempted to go for a walk. We walked out the back door to first inspect the vegetable garden, and then we came around the corner of our house to start our stroll through our small town. It was starting to get dark, where it was difficult to see with clarity. Um, in the distance, you, could make out, you couldn't make out a lot of details, but you could see shapes. It was, that kind, it was that time of the night. As soon as we came around the corner of our house, I could see a non-human creature with good size aggressively running right at us about 150 yards away. I took a step backwards with the intention of getting inside our house through the back door. I calmly stepped backwards so I wouldn't bring attention to myself. I didn't want to seem like I was something to be chased. After my first step back, I noticed two things. The non-human creature was a large dog running full speed without a leash attached to a person. And my wife did not take a step back with me. Those were the two things I noticed. Instead, she took multiple steps forward, squinted her eyes, and said, Now, what is that? Now, I love her, and I swore an oath on our wedding day that I meant at the time, but that doesn't mean I am thrilled with the current situation I had found myself in. Thoughts come quicker than words that express them, but my thought was, I can't believe she's gonna make me fight the dog. Husbands, you need to remember that you didn't marry a guy, thank goodness. Your wife is different than you, thank goodness. She brings a different perspective, different desires, different wants and needs. There certainly are exceptions But generally speaking, husbands desire significance and wives desire security. Not all the time, but typically that's that's how it usually works. Husbands, we need to be considerate for our wives' emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being. Guys, you might be fine living in a tent. She might not. There's an attitude that some husbands have about saying, I love you, to their wife. Their attitude is... I told her that I loved her at our wedding. If I change my mind, I'll let her know. She might need to hear that more than once a year on your anniversary. Bachelors, we get—we used to, I remember this, bachelors get to leave the house in a moment's notice. Husbands, you don't. Especially when your wife becomes a mom. Everything changes. It is easy to be selfish. God-honoring husbands are selfless. They put the needs of the family, they put the needs of their wife before their own. That is how submission works for the husband. You submit to the needs of your wife. You don't ask, what is best for me? You ask, what is best for her? What is best for the family? That doesn't mean that you do everything that she wants you to do. But you submit to your own desires and wants, and you begin to concentrate on the desires and needs of your wife. That is how submission is done. You also submit by showing honor to the wife. This means respect. I have instructed teens on how to pick up a date and how to be picked up, and I tell them never honk in the driveway. Ladies, if your Neanderthal of a date honks their car for you to come out, stay inside, stay inside and say, oh, I didn't hear it. Chivalry is still appreciated. Husbands, drop off your wife at the door when it is raining. Be appreciative of their effort to look nice. I told my son when he went to homecoming, I said, you're gonna take a shower, shave, put on clothes, basically a half hour. Your date has been getting ready for hours. Show appreciation. Show appreciation. That's how you honor. And then it says this this thing here in 1 Peter that some people react badly to, and, uh, and I don't think there's a reason to act badly to it. It says, to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. What that means is show honor instead of bully. To show honor instead of bully. The idea that might don't make right. And sometimes husbands have that mindset that because I am physically stronger, might makes right. It's gonna go my way because I'm physically, physically, it amazes me that we have to say it in this day and age, men and women are different from each other, right? Uh, and uh, uh, this past year, some, some guy who wanted to do well in swimming decided that he was a woman and he would compete in college swimming uh, with, with actual women, and, and, he, and he won. And he got a lot of applause for that. <sighs> Men and women are different. They're physically different. Might don't make right. Be considerate of, uh, of what she physically needs. It's different than what you physically need. Uh, she is going to take some effort on things and that is fine. Use your strength to her benefit and not your own. That's what it's saying. Use your strength to her benefit and not your own. And then this passage ends with a warning. This is a, guys, take, take notice of this warning. I want to come back to it here. It says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Gentlemen, God will give you the same consideration you give your wife. That's what this is saying. God's gonna give you the same consideration you give your wife. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. That is why it is so important to get it right. That is why our witness in marriage is so effective. Ephesians five has the, the most to say about about marriage, and I'm just going to read it, we're not going to expand on it, I'm just going to read it and pay attention as, as I go along. It says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or with any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, the same way that Christ treated the church, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Why is our witness and our conduct in marriage so important? Because it is a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. We witness that as we are married the way God instructs us to be married. We are a picture of how much Christ loved the church. That is why it is so important, believer, that we understand and get this right, because we are a picture of Christ and the church. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can witness and how we love and respond to our spouse, and that you use that to convict and to convince unsaved people concerning their relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, help us to, as husbands, to love our wives the way that you loved the church, your son loved the church, and that he gave himself up for the church, fully and completely holding nothing back. And Father, for the wives, I ask that they would uh, recognize uh, how far To subject themselves, just as your son subjected himself to your will, Father, not because uh, he is, because God the Son is lacking or or less God, less important, less valuable, but Father, that he subjected himself again to the point of death, uh, death on the cross, which brought about the salvation uh, for all those who trust in him alone. Father, I ask that you would just help us to think about ways that we can. please you and and honor you in the way we love our spouses. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.